1: Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
3: At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select-bagged mulch, now starting at just two eighty-eight dollars a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
4: welcome back to film study with ken McCusick. forget all that stuff we did last week this is week one of the preseason uh football season so we're going to get started ken McCusick, how are you doing life's good josh how about you I'm doing well. It seems really weird that this is week one when we've had a few weeks of Ravens practices and we've had a preseason game. It's throwing everything off for me mentally.
2: Yeah, I saw an article somewhere. It might have been The Sun, might have been elsewhere that said that that the Ravens had made good use of their head start. And I think that's true. I think they're they're ahead of other teams in terms of where they are. And I don't think they're behind in the big category, which would be injuries, where you'd expect them to be behind at this point.
4: Right. And that's the big news is injuries and... uh... Even Marshall Yondo was uh, healthy and cleared all his stuff before week one actually started.
2: Yeah, that's right. So he will be he will be on the roster and off PUP. He won't play, I don't believe, before the opener. But we'll see if he uh, can squeeze in a few snaps at the end of the preseason at some point.
4: All right. Now, this is fairly new with uh, NFL teams practicing with other NFL teams. So this week, the Ravens are practicing with the Rams for two days. And then they've got their... their Preseason week one tomorrow night seven thirty against the Rams Thursday night yeah that's
2: that's right so they practice Monday and Tuesday with the Rams then each team has their own secret practice on Wednesday where they do the uh, uh, walk through where they you know they really do actually walk through the plays and uh, and and they have their their hidden practice anyway so this is an opportunity against live fire to go against a, a good opponent. And it's something the Ravens were one of the really avant-garde teams in starting about four years ago, five years ago, I think it was, against the 49ers when Jim Harbaugh was still coaching out there. So, uh, uh, you know, it's something that the Ravens continued. They did it with the 49ers at least once. They did it with the Eagles, and,
4: they, and they've now done it with the Rams.
2: So uh, it's, it's been a good practice. I think it really has worked for them.
4: It's, it seems ridiculous that, uh, that the Rams would travel all the way to the East Coast for preseason football. Uh, Having practice over here, I think, helps with that, where you're not coming and going the same day, basically. But why is it that the NFL does this? Is it because their divisions are so based locally that in order to get someone out of division, it's a travel? Well, you you play the
2: NFC team, so the Ravens typically – most common Ravens opponents in preseason history are probably – the Eagles, Giants, and Redskins, who are all NFC East teams. And all and within they, four hours of each other. Uh, all within, yeah, very short times. And, and they play Carolina a lot in the preseason. They play Atlanta a lot in the preseason. So, so that regionality is definitely preserved. And I think it's only really when they have these kind of games, or primarily, let me say, when they have these kind of games, that they go outside of the region to, to look for preseason. But there's a couple things. You want to always play NFC teams whenever possible because you don't want to give away what you're doing to the AFC. So that's just been something they've always tried to do. Um, not, you don't always get four for four, but you often get three of four against the NFC. And then you, uh, uh, you, know, you typically play regional teams. And obviously not everybody's in a nice, easy region, so they have to find games for them to play as well. Gotcha.
4: Um, all right, so you, I assume you've been to at least one of these practices the past two days and have seen the uh, shared practice. Have we learned anything different in these practices?
2: yeah I've been there the last two days and and I think there are some some interesting things that came out of the practice. Uh, first of all the the rules of the practice are very similar to the rules of a ravens practice, but it's still tougher and harder hitting they They have a partial contact, no tackling, there's no cut blocking allowed. They practice as they quote unquote normally would against each other. It's just they're a lot more physical about it at the line of scrimmage uh, than than they would be otherwise but they don't tackle receivers they don't push receivers down in the back they don't go press coverage that i've seen so uh i I believe it's all of the ravens normal rules that they would hold for practice that's what john said yesterday anyway
4: so it's like a two-hand touch game there you go gotcha um so we're facing against the rams different than what we're used to seeing how do the rams differ than the defense going up against like a joe flacco offense
2: Right. Well, there's, I think there's on both sides of the ball, the Rams have differences in the way they run their practice relative to the Ravens. But they're very physical at the line of scrimmage. They, they really put on a great pass rush in that first day. Uh, all the quarterbacks had trouble with it. Flacco probably had the least trouble uh, You know, with dealing with the pass rush, but he also had the number one lineman in front of him. And then when Lamar Jackson got out there, the poor guy was just swarmed by the Rams' twos, I guess, primarily. And the Ravens uh, really showed some weakness on their backup offensive line that we'll, we'll have to talk about later a little bit. But, uh, but that was a problem. And, uh, and one of the other problems was it appeared Lamar Jackson had been told not to leave the pocket, but to just throw. And after that first game where he, uh, you know, he left the pocket Anselly a couple of times. Obviously, right. his, big, his big plays were really with his feet. He had one good third down completion as well, but uh, primarily they were they were with his feet that he made plays. And I think the Ravens really wanted him to just stand in the pocket and make some throws. And against live fire, this was a good opportunity to do it outside of an exhibition game, additional reps. you know, They had a two-minute drill at the end that Lamar Jackson ran. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, they, they give always a situational drill at the end of practice, always the last drill. And it's always one that, that's, that's in the last two minutes. And uh, it was 1-11 left from your own 25-yard line. And I don't know whether, yeah, they needed three to tie or, or seven to win um, as, it, as it was. So uh, Lamar Jackson, first pass, dropped back. And he tried to throw a short pass over the middle, but was deflected at the line of scrimmage. Next pass, again deflected at the line of scrimmage. Two out of two. Next pass, he threw short left, incomplete, low, and out of the reach of the receiver. Fourth pass, he managed to get off a deep ball down the right sideline. It it floated out of bounds. I'm sorry, it floated over the head of the receiver. I believe it was Lasley on that play. So, not good success, obviously, in the two minute drill from Jackson. That's one where he has to pass and not uh, not think about running the ball. So, uh, you know, it's been kind of a tough week for Lamar Jackson, starting with Thursday and the, and the performance against the Bears and the difficulties he's had against the Rams here Monday and Tuesday.
4: And that's that's to be expected. We know he's a good athlete. We know he can move the ball with his feet. If he's going to make it in the NFL, he's got to develop at least somewhat as a pocket passer.
2: Yes, sir, and uh, and I, I think that the rest of camp will probably be devoted heavily to that. I, I don't think that Jackson will be starting anytime in two thousand eighteen unless there's a serious injury. Uh, I, I think he'll probably be uh, a, a guy who gets, you know, two situational reps a game, as Dominic Foxworth suggested, would be very effective. Uh, you know, and, and keeps other defensive coordinators guessing, and maybe four if you include time where He's not the quarterback, so he's, right. he's a wide receiver lined up and, or, or whatever. But you could line him up in, the, in a Wildcat. You can line him up in the shotgun and do different RPO options with him. Keep the other defensive coordinator awake at, not, at night, but I don't think he's going to be the centerpiece of the Ravens' offense in 2018.
4: Gotcha. Um, you mentioned the, all, the offensive line struggling. Is that, does that concern you? Was the first line doing a lot better, you mentioned?
2: Yeah, the the first line is better. Marshall Yonda still is not practicing, so you have that. But they, they had James they had three interior linemen who may all get playing time this year. So they had at left guard they had Alex Lewis for most of the day, and they also had Matt Skura most of the day at center, and those two did alternate, so they've still done a little bit of Lewis at center. Then they had Hurst at right guard for the for the entire practice with the ones, and then Orlando Brown at right tackle. And it was on the interior that they had tremendous problems. And it's not surprising because Ndamukong McSue is there, and uh, and he is very effective. He had a field day with Matt Skura. He gave James Hurst difficulty. Not surprising, but again, it's something the Ravens are going to need to deal with. And and, uh, uh, hopefully by Thursday, they've got some answers to it. I I think one of the things that, that... impressed me about this and, and one of the reasons I think the center is really one of the big problems we plan to do this later, let's just do it now uh-huh. uh, is that Metzger is really not the anchor player the Ravens need at center in the AFC North I don't believe. They, they need a player who can uh, anchor against the behemoths and whether that's Atkins or Hargrave um, it used to be Danny Shelton for the Browns. I'm not sure who they have now uh, playing on the interior. But anyway, big guys on the interior are the norm in the AFC North. They're, in fact, the norm in all the football and really need to have a center who can hold the point of attack. It's especially important to the Ravens because they, they run a, a power run scheme that has a lot of pulling guard movement from left to right. And even if it had it from right to left, it wouldn't matter. You still need that center to anchor the point of attack so that he's not giving ground immediately and causing – the guard to either have to loop around further, which is going to delay the play, or to uh, get tripped up, which is the worst-case
4: scenario. Gotcha. Um, what about the running game with the offense? Is it is you know, not too hard to, to tell at these non-contact you, practices? You, you know, that's really it. You can see a little bit of the
2: blocking if you stand in just the right place. You can see if there was a hole. But it doesn't tell you anything about yards after contact, which is half of the running game. You know, you, you, you want to get big holes. You want to get good level two opportunities. And then the running back has to make something happen after contact is the other part of that. And you really don't get a sense of that from these practices. Gotcha.
4: All right. Uh, well, let's go on the other side of the ball. How did the defense look out here against the Rams?
2: Okay, so I watched about 10 minutes of defense on the first couple of 11-on-11 11 and 7-on-7 11 and seven and seven drills on Monday. And I would say that uh, it was a, uh, a fairly mixed bag, but there were lots of positive points for the Ravens on that. And then I said, okay, I need to go to the offensive side of the field, especially to watch Lamar Jackson, because that's what people are going to be interested in. Right. And they have i should explain normally in practice you don't miss anything because you have the offense playing the defense on one field and there's only one you know one team but it's dividing its players and you see every play these practices are special because they've got offense versus defense on both fields going at the same time and so it's it's a it's an interesting dynamic it's something you really got to be you got to choose your spot and you know so russell street report had multiple people out there and they were looking at different sides of the ball and whatnot
4: so you weren't so, you weren't on Jared on the Jarrett Goff watch.
2: No or, or. second second day I was. I, okay. I moved over to the defensive side and I saw them and the Ravens pass rush that second day was very impressive. Goff was also pretty good, by the way. He threw a lot of balls that beat the beat zone coverage, and I thought he was he was effective. But the Ravens did a great job of of generating pressure. Zadarius Smith had a big day, including a couple of of uh, sacks. You, you really have a hard time calling them sacks, but on the last drive, they're actually blown dead, so you you know it's a sack. On the previous drives, they usually play through, you know, a, a defender in the backfield, so you think it's a sack, but you can't call it a sack, and yada yada. Gotcha. Right. So, uh, anyway, uh, who else had a good one? Patrick Ricard had a terrific bull rush inside for a sack. Uh, we had uh, Kamalai Correa had a pass defensed. Uh, that was actually on Monday. Uh, uh, terrific all around pass rushing. Tyus Bowser, unfortunately, did not see action on Tuesday. I believe he did not see action Monday either. But uh, no, he did, he did see action on Monday. He did not see action on Tuesday. And Terrell Suggs was out on Tuesday, but the Ravens' pass rush, even without him, was very good. So I, I would say it was, a, it was a solid day. Another guy who stepped up in practice defensively, who had not looked that great in camp to me so far, was Michael Pierce. Had three really good stops on the run game where he was in the backfield penetrating, you know, made contact with the runner or bowled, bowled somebody that would have blown up the play.
4: Just really good to see that from him after kind of a mediocre camp to date. All right. Um, what about Ricard? Because he was on the defensive side as well, right?
2: Yeah, I, I mentioned Ricard had a bull rush for, for okay, a sack. That. I, I, I what's,
1: that. I, but,
2: but there's other points to make about Ricard. Ricard had, is really a key player for the Ravens' roster woes because he plays fullback and he plays defensive line. Now, we talked about this earlier, but he only played one snap of defensive line after October 15th last year. So they effectively shut him down and only used him as a fullback after that. Well, this year, they've got him at fullback, and he had five snaps in the opening game. But he also had 41 snaps on the defensive line. So, obviously, first game, they're trying to get an extended play from a guy who they don't figure to have, playing a lot of snaps during the season. I expect that to continue in this in the second game, in Week 1. Um, but uh, we'll see if Ricard actually can save them a roster spot by giving me a combination of a fullback and maybe the sixth or seventh defensive lineman on the roster who allows them to keep one less guy. So that's the interesting dynamic here. And the Ravens, you know, if they want to keep three quarterbacks or they want to keep seven wide receivers, they want to keep an extra cornerback, uh, you know, whatever they may want for an extra spot, Patrick Ricard might be the guy to help them get there.
4: All right. Um, All right, well, Rams game Thursday night. It's preseason week one, but we actually will get to see a little bit of Joe Flacco. And what else will we see? What else should we be watching for in this game?
2: Okay, well, you mentioned the QB rotation. Let's let's talk about that first. I think we'll see one series from Joe. I imagine we'll see more or less the rest of the half from RG3. RG3 really needs to pick up some playing time over these weeks. This playing time needs to what well, they used to say about, about backup quarterbacks kind of carry them through the season so he needs to be ready later in the season when he's ready he'll get limited practice snaps during the regular season when the number one gets most of them so this is the playing time he really needs to make the most of and if he's going to be around he needs to get significant play now I think he'll play at least till the half and then in the second half I expect we'll see mostly Lamar Jackson and a little bit of Josh Woodrum at the end of the game would be my guess
4: okay alright uh, I have no desire to see Woodrum, but I am, I am interested to see uh, Lamar Jackson continue to grow. Um, let's get to some players that need to kind of s- step up their game and need to improve and show something tomorrow night because they're on the bubble, risk of getting cut or whatever. Yeah. Um, we, you got a guy. You, we can start with one of your guys. Okay, so so one of my guys would be Jaleel Scott. So uh, he was
2: targeted 32 times in the opening game, and he only had one— sorry, he played 32 snaps. He was only targeted once, and that ball was intercepted. That is a bad trifecta there for Jaleel. Now, he was drafted, so he's likely to be kept around. It may be on injured reserve— playing at the level he is right now. I just don't see them keeping him and, and expending a roster spot on him when they have the three veteran receivers. They have uh Moore, who's just been outstanding this preseason. They have Tim White, who's their primary return guy. And they have uh Jordan Lasley, who's been the best of the rookies, and I thought has look has looked very good as well. They have other choices, other depth to go through at wide receiver that they might consider, starting with Prashad Perriman, who who we don't know if, he won't, if he'll be cut or not. It's certainly a possibility. And then the, the other guy they have is Janarian Grant, who probably would only make the team if he replaces White as the kick returner. So I think it's easily easy to see the Ravens have seven receivers ahead of Jaleel Scott, even when you account for the type and the fact that one of them is going to return kicks and not two, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, uh, Scott's going to have to do a lot, and he's really going to need to step up his game and prove I think he's a red zone threat in order to make this team.
4: All right, and I'm assuming that Jordan Lasley is kind of in the same situation as this guy? Well, Lasley's ahead of him, Lasley, clearly, on the, right. on the,
2: on the uh, depth chart. He's, a, uh, so he, he's played much better in camp, and I don't think there's any real chance of him getting cut, in part okay. because the Ravens need to start developing younger rookie receivers. They can't just cut all the rookies and keep veterans. They just stay on the, the free agent treadmill, and you end up spending a bajillion dollars on the position where they really need to develop some players
4: internally. All right, so then I'm going to mark down that it's between Jaleel Scott and Perriman. I'm going to put our okay. Perriman there because clearly one of them will have to go.
2: Okay, I I think that that may be the way that works out, and maybe even both go.
4: <laughs> yeah, if they're bad, let them both go. I I am tired of bad wide receivers on this team. I, I, I'll
2: I'll tell you this: it's a lot more likely both go than both stay. Both stay, I'd put as a you know a single digit percentage chance. Okay, I, but but uh, but both both go, I'd put as. Uh,
4: you know, 30%, 40 50% in there. Gotcha. Uh, what about Nico Saragusa? He struggled in the Hall of Fame game.
2: Yeah, he did, and he, and he only played late. He got 11 snaps in that initial game. Uh, the guy's recovering from a horrific uh, triple whammy of the knee injuries, all three major ligaments uh, torn, really bad injury, and he lost all of his rookie year. He came to the Ravens and was drafted in the fourth round because he was a real road grader. So he'd be the ideal guy to replace Jensen at center, or to play guard, but, but to replace Jensen at center so the, the Ravens maintain that strong point of attack presence at center. And I thought the Ravens really wanted him to win that job. He's just not physically ready to do it, it doesn't seem. So I'm still hoping there's a month left before the games start for real, and he's going to be able to pick up his his uh, physical activity, and and uh, look more like the road grader the
4: Ravens drafted. But it, at, at present, it just um, he's definitely behind all the others at center. All right. Uh, in fact, I think we're going to get to a center question in the mailbag, so I'll leave that for now. And we can move on to Bra- uh, Bradley Bozeman. So, yeah, Bradley Bozeman, center from Alabama, so he's the other half of this. And, and he got
2: a lot of playing time in that first game. It was split uh, between Shakir and he— alternated positions for most of the game between left guard and center. So the, the Ravens do this, you know, two series or one series, depending on length, I guess, uh, where they would have one at left guard and one at center, and then they'd switch them. And Bozeman of the 3 of oh, sorry, there are four players who were the primaries on the left side, two left tackles, and, and uh, Bozeman and, uh, and Sh- uh, Maurice Shakir were the four guys on the left side. Bozeman was the least bad of those four. But they had a tremendously, as a group, just tremendous trouble holding off the pass rush from the Bears in that game. And and the Ravens allowed eight sacks in the end. So uh, some of that was some scrambling around the pocket, holding the ball too long. But most of it was on the offensive line for uh, compromising that pocket pretty darn quickly. Bozeman is is more of a point of attack run blocker. He's a bigger guy. Uh, His questions are on mobility and level two. I didn't really see anything that would answer those in game one. It's definitely something I'm going to be looking for in game two is, how does Bradley Bozeman move into level two and make blocks? Can he combination block effectively when he's got nobody in front of him? Can he move to level two effectively and line somebody up? Uh, Can he hold the point of attack so other other players' guards can pull? So those are the questions about Bradley Bozeman I'd like to see answered uh, in in this second
4: game. All right. Uh, On the... Uh, let's go to the weak side. And do you think Peanut is going to stick around, or is Kenny Young going to out outdo him?
2: I, I would – right now, Peanut is the, is playing with the ones. Young has shown a lot more, and he's shown more in games, at, in the first Hall of Fame game, as you would expect, because he's playing against the other team's twos. At some point, I believe they're going to have to change that. Um, Peanut had a very difficult first game against the Bears – uh, you know, A lot of the, the Ravens' problems have been in coverage, where Young definitely gives you more than uh, Peanut does, who so has a lot of difficulty in recognition and coverage and did last year anyway. And I think you know, a lot of the value Peanut brings is in his willingness to throw his body around and get into a gap quickly. Uh, but a lot of responsibilities now for inside linebackers in the NFL relate to coverage, how they can handle that short middle zone, how, they, how quickly they can recognize the screen pass and get under that, how quickly they, they follow a running back drifting out of the backfield or a tight end doing the same thing into a short zone. He's got to be able to do those things well in order to uh, be even a two-down linebacker with the Ravens. But what I'm expecting is that Kenny Young is going to get his chance before camp is over with the ones, and we'll see what he can do. Uh, and Young has his own set of questions. Is is Kenny be the run defender the Ravens need him to be? So it's not like either guy is perfect, but right now I'd say Kenny Young is a little bit ahead from what I'm seeing. Gotcha.
4: Kafusi uh, is going through another battle of his own. I still, yeah, on the defensive side.
2: Well, he's, you know, he's like the nth plus one player at two positions now because at defensive end. He was, uh, you know, getting pushed out. He was, you know, we know we know he was in Harbaugh's doghouse last year for uh, physicality and being cited for that against the run. Uh, in in terms of this year, uh, they've, they've actually have him practicing and playing at two positions, at both defensive end and outside linebacker. Uh, played some of both against the Bears. What strikes me in terms of his play at outside linebacker is he's huge and could be a good guy to hold the point of attack. Uh, hold the edge against, uh, against a tackle even. And that's what I'm really going to be looking to him to see if he can do. He had some nice splash plays in the first game, included a quarterback hit. So he rushed the passer effectively, did some things effectively, even on the inside as well. So uh, there was a lot to like about his first performance. The second game, I really want to see him hold the edge effectively as an outside linebacker and maybe be able to drop into coverage as well. That would be nice to see too.
4: All right. Um, one more guy, the rookie, Darius Williams. Darius Williams. So he's back up Slack Corner. So uh, a, a guy who is
2: undrafted and had been very impressive early in camp. What what struck us from the first game, and we did not talk about him, I don't, I don't believe, in our first podcast, no. was he, he had a lot of trouble playing through contact. So uh, he had two plays on which he was the recipient of an apparent OPI flag and was calling for it in both cases, but didn't get it in either case. So... in Part of being an NFL corner, and at his size, it's a bigger issue, is that he's going to need to play through a lot of that contact. Where a receiver, you know, gets that veteran push, or you know, as they call it sometimes, or he he uh, turns and uses his body against the guy effectively. He's going to have to get around that, and he's going to have to figure out how, at his size, he's able to impact the passing game and and take care of NFL size wide receivers and 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 their moves. But the, the the touchdown that almost tied the game, Darius Williams gave it gave it up on a on basically what was a turnaround use the body move where he thought he was also shoved on the play even if he'd maintained his feet he would have had a hard time deflecting that pass because he the uh, the receiver had used his body effectively so anyway we'll need to see ways for darius williams to impact the game he's been fast had his hands on the ball a lot of things to like about the guy but uh but we're going to see more in these upcoming games
4: all right um right now when you look at this team where is your biggest concern
2: well, we've talked about a little bit in terms of center being a primary concern i don't think the ravens have their answer yet They've alex lewis has been at the at the spot i think he might be the leader right now uh that's a very tall high pad level center some say that's easier for flacco if, when he's under center to take to receive the ball a little bit higher and maybe see the field a little bit better uh it also presents pad level challenges for going against, uh, you know, these fireplug nose tackles who can be very large and still not very tall. So Brandon Williams would be in that group. Uh, you know, there's, there's Michael Pierce would be in that group as far as a guy who's not certainly not six six and uh, and can get under the pad level of your six six center if that's the way they want to go. So Alex Lewis is a is a, uh, a player. I, I hope the Ravens are able to find a spot for. I think center might be it for him. But uh, but the Ravens otherwise they have a lot of lot of questions. Bradley Bozeman I think has a chance to be the guy. We'll see what comes up with him. Uh, Matt Skura I, I'm very smart guy apparently and uh, and probably is the best at knowing the line calls at this point. Uh, probably is the, is one of the lesser choices in terms of holding the point of attack, and then we mentioned Siragusa earlier. Is a guy who's really going to need to get well physically, but if he did, he could be the biggest and the brawniest of the available options at center. So I think that's where they stand right now, and it, it's uh, it is a significant concern. One guy is out there, by the way. I don't know, you know, how much you remember about this guy from the past, but Richie Incognito is still available, and presumably could play center. In, a, in the Ravens offense if it needed to
4: be. He's, he's been on many successful lines, so I would have no problem with giving him a tryout. Yeah. Um, I'm concerned about the wide receivers because I felt like they were so soft last year and not fighting for the ball or trying to go up for the ball. Have you you've been able to see anything to give me hope this year with that? Well, it's a it's a really good point. Obviously, in the first game, we saw you know the ball
2: bounce off Perriman for an interception that was very much like what we'd seen before. I think we've seen more from the tight ends. Hurst looks like a tough guy in terms of going after the ball. Good. Uh, Boyle is there; he's a tough guy. Uh, so they they have some you know some ability to do that. I think at tight end. When I'm looking at the receivers, I I don't. John Brown is a smaller guy physically. He's not. He, he'll, he'll scrap for the ball, but he doesn't have the physical presence to use his body to intercede. The guy who does is Crabtree. Crabtree uses his body fairly well to uh, block off the defender. And he because he doesn't get tons of separation, he has a lot of contested opportunities. certainly did last year in Oakland. And, and that's a place where I think you get maybe more of what you want in terms of, a, of not Jeremy Macklin from last year, but you get Michael Crabtree from this year in terms of, of fighting for the football. So, okay. Hopefully, now, you,
4: some, at least is somewhat improved from last year. Let's put it that way. Right, sure. Uh, Crabtree no longer has the speed anymore as he's older. Who's the guy that can go out there for the long ball? Do we have the oh, guy this year? Yeah, is John, it Chris John Moore? Brown. It's John, John Brown.
2: John Brown is the is the Chris Moore could be also, by the way. Chris Moore look unbelievably good in, in uh, practice. I don't know what role they've envisioned for him because they keep using him with the twos the whole time. They haven't given him a chance to really practice with the ones yet. But John Brown is a, uh, uh, is a pure speed threat, so he'll be vertically stretching the field on a lot of plays, and, and hopefully him and Flacco can uh, develop a connection.
4: All right, awesome. All right, before the season starts, I'm going to get a sounder for this segment, but I think I've been saying that for two years now. So it's uh-huh. time for our mailbag. So hit us up on Twitter and use the hashtag FilmStudyMailbag. Send in your questions for Ken to answer. And uh, we've got a few questions in, so I just want to start with those. First one I've got here is from Edgar. And Edgar asks, have you looked at the coach's cam, the one where you can see who's open? Were there any guys open when Lamar decides to scramble? In other words, how itchy is his trigger finger?
2: Okay, so first of all, I have not looked at the coach's cam. Uh, You can buy that in the preseason. But I was too cheap to do it, and, and, and there's a ton to analyze from the broadcast video. So it's not like I felt I needed to do another layer of analysis on a preseason game. Right, you get all that BL for the season. 10. Yeah, I do get it. Of course, I get it for the season. You can't be without it. But but the uh, you have to pay for it separately on NFL Game Pass during the, during the preseason. The other thing, and I want to start an email campaign if that's at all possible. So if you're within range of my voice and you're a PSL holder, and I know a lot of you are – please send the Ravens an email and say, when are you going to give us our, our game pass credentials for this year, our, game, our free game pass for this year, so we can get in there? Because we can't as of right now. And uh, I, I just hope that they, they give it to us in, in time, certainly for the regular season, week one. But uh, even before that, would be nice to go back and look back at historical games. But either way, the NFL separates out that preseason stuff because they, they have to get that video from a number of different sources.
4: We, we got to work on that, Ken. You shouldn't be getting your game pass because of being a PSL holder. The Ravens <laughs> seem to just give that to you as, uh, as press. Well, I mean, the
2: Ravens are giving it to
4: me. It's a, it's a generous gift. They, they may give it to all NFL season ticket
2: holders. I don't know that for sure, but it's a, it's a very nice benefit, uh, You know, $100 freebie for being a, uh, a season ticket holder that I really appreciate.
4: Good. They can now afford that since they're not giving <laughs> you physical tickets. There you go. All right, um, let's move on.
2: I, I'm dreading. I'm, I'm going to take my lanyard to the game for the first time on Thursday night. I'm dreading that the system is not going to be working, and there's you're going to be you know f- lines of 400 people outside, you know, t- trying to figure out how to get their lanyard to work and downloading tickets right. on their phones and whatnot. It's it could be a nightmare.
4: That has only happened once to me at at Camden Yards, where the the phone didn't work. Okay, so. Other than, and they just let me in, so we 'll be all right. I think you 'll be fine um, let 's see next question. Well, I guess Edgar follows up with that, and says I was wondering during the game if Baltimore could be in any disposition of to let go of Sam Cook and stick with this norwegian dude, and uh, that 's because that guy can kick and Right. Yes. That's so he's a dual threat guy. So assuming they're not going to get rid of
2: Tucker, which I don't see any way in, in hell they would do. Right. Then, then uh, you know, there's no real option that's a great benefit unless this guy was a better cooker than kicker than Sam Cook, or he had significantly less cost. And I don't know exactly where Sam and his contract is. I didn't look that up, uh, but Sam is way out kicking him still at camp. Uh, Corey Vedvik has had a lot of uh, punt. Um, erraticness, and he's he's kicked a bunch of uh, balls out of bounds. In fact, I noticed this because I'm standing in an area that's directly out of bounds right at the point at which these punts go out it almost looks like he's aiming at me a lot of the time so I know he's trying to directionally punt to one half of the field and he's just missing and going outside the uh, outside of out of bounds a a fair amount so he's been too erratic for for me to consider at this point that he would replace Cook he has a huge leg and some NFL teams going to want him as their
4: kicker Uh, and and that I'm sure he's got an NFL career ahead of him good because I am going to always refer to him now as the Norwegian dude next to Edgar Uh, Matt writes in, is Dixon in danger of missing the 53-man roster if his injury issues continue? And are there any notable free agent running backs on the roster bubbles of other teams that the Ravens should be looking at for depth?
2: Okay, Matt, I gotta admit, I am not in tune with other teams' uh, bubble situations. Last year, they found two guys, Langford and then Collins, who were terrific pickups after uh, cuts were made. So, don't put it past the Ravens to find somebody like that. Uh, you know, the, the, the situa- their situation is not so great that a free the best free agent out there on the market is not likely to be better. But they have three UDFA running backs, each of whom has shown a little bit. So Gus Edwards had the good game in week one, and then this week in practice, the first day against the Rams, he fumbled twice. So that wasn't good. Um, Mark Thompson had looked good in practice before, didn't show much against the Rams. And he'd, he'd been good as a receiver had the size to pass block, and had had a couple nice breakaway runs. So he'd done a little bit of everything. I was I was optimistic that he'd be the first guy out there, but he was number two uh, in terms of where they went. DeLance Turner, I haven't seen all that much of. Uh, if he's the guy, he needs to get more reps and uh, and more time in these one of these games. But uh, they went through the Hall of Fame game, and all three of those guys got some very significant playing time, and Edwards was clearly the best in that game.
4: All right. All uh... right. Last question, and that's actually from Dawson, and it's two questions. I'm going to give them both to you at the same time because the first question you already kind of answered with the incognito, but you can get more depth into it if you would like. Do you think of a veteran center could be released that the Ravens would jump on, is his first question. Also, with the lack of tackle depth on the roster, why do you think Crockett Gilmore hasn't been brought in and given a chance since he transitioned to the position this offseason?
2: Okay, I'll start with the center thing because one of the things that's in premium demand are uh, large centers who can move a little bit and, and are earth movers. They just are not that common. It's usually a little bit smaller player who plays center and they don't tend to be quite as physical. Uh, you know, the Ravens went out and got Jeremy Zuda as a long-term fix to their, to their uh, center problems. It didn't end up being that way, and he didn't really end up being the, the kind of the size and physicality of center the Ravens would want. So I think it's going to be difficult to find that kind of a guy off the scrap heap. Um, in terms of the, your other question about the tackle depth, you know, the Ravens do have serious tackle depth issues right now. Greg Sonata's is back practicing, did not look that good in, on Monday against the Rams from what I saw uh i hope we see a lot of him during these exhibition games since he's practicing 11 on 11s i do expect him to be back for the remainder of the exhibition season and he will be the primary left tackle the rest of the way uh if he stays healthy i think the ravens really want him to win that job so they have a pure tackle that they can replace that left tackle with going to crockett gilmore for a second i had heard only secondhand never seen anything about Crockett Gilmore gaining weight, and he's heavier now, and he's trying to become a tackle and all this. I mean, it's certainly possible. It might be a multi-year project. Um, he's also a guy who's had uh, injury history in the past, so he's not the ideal guy necessarily to, to jump in there as a as a tackle. But the fact that he's not anywhere around the Ravens camp, not even on the 90-man roster, would probably tell you the project didn't work out. So I wish Crockett Gilmore the best. I hope he gets it, makes it with another team. Who's certainly a, a you know a, a, was a Raven who always tried really hard despite the injuries. But uh, you know I I think it's doubtful that his NFL career tackle will ever get off the ground.
4: All right. Um, well, that is our mailbag. I was just I was just reading up on uh, Richie Incognito to see any chance, and he's apparently going crazy on Twitter in the past 24 hours. Yes, so he might be sitting at home a little bit longer. Yes, I've I've heard that as well. Now Richie Incognito
2: has been known for saying a few things, and yes. doing a few things, and being involved in a few hazing incidents all over the years. So, uh, you know, he's a uh, a guy you want to make sure has a veteran presence with his arm around his shoulder. Even though Incognito himself is probably 34, 35 years old at this point.
1: Yeah. Uh, you, know, you
2: still need somebody to watch him.
4: I'll put it out there. There's no way he comes to the Baltimore Ravens. We've, we've been over the John Harbaugh doghouse. This is, a, this is definitely a, a year that John Harbaugh needs to win. And he cannot bring something like that into, into his house. I,
2: I'm trying to think of the, of the players who have fit into this mode, but it might be the, the closest one who was also a great player when he, when he was active with the Ravens is Jared Gaither. I mean, he just had uh, terrific talent and a 10 cent head to go with it, where he threw his whole career away basically for, for uh, you know no good reason. but uh, a guy that certifiably could play left tackle. And, uh, you know, it would have been nice if the, if the Ravens used a supplemental draft pick to get him during the Harbaugh era. No, they didn't. It was before. It was 2007. So, you're probably right, Josh. I mean, uh, I'm, you're probably right that incognito is a big no way.
4: No, I'm going to hope for this uh, Bozeman kid to, to do well and become our center. Because, See, yeah, is he your new favorite player? Uh, no, I'm going to hold out. This is only year two of Bowser. So, I'm going okay. to still hope and Bowser is going to take a step up this year. Well, me too. So, all right, can Well, enjoy uh, preseason uh, game number two for week one, and we'll talk again soon.
2: Josh, thanks for doing the show on your vacation. Make sure you tell them about 336.
4: Oh, yeah. We can get the plugs in. Uh, 336 is Orioles talk, uh, especially now when times are dark and the Orioles are horrible. <laughs> uh, we help you get through it. I do it with my brother, and uh, we're going to record a new episode later tonight. So there will be something new up there talking about the state of the Orioles.
2: Now I got to tell you, I'm looking at the standings every day, and I am really pissed off about the way the Kansas City Royals seem to be playing, every bit as poorly or worse as the Orioles.
4: Yeah, it's crazy that the that one of these teams is going to set the record for the worst season in baseball ever. It, it could well be, and the number one draft pick is on the line,
2: and uh, it's a that's an awful lot of value from one to two, from from two to three. It's a it's a it can often be a peak draft in baseball, just like others. Well, probably not like football, but like other like many other sports. Yeah. And,
4: Yep, it's a he's big deal. And uh, Chris Davis, is, since All-Star break, has been playing like a replacement-level player. So he's improved. Improved, yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, all right, Ken, uh, what's up on Russell Street Report while people are waiting for the game tomorrow?
2: Okay, well, when I go to camp, the stuff is posted under Camp Notes on RSR, so you can find that. Um, when I do an analysis piece or when I do a, uh, a podcast or whatever, it'll be posted on the regular – Film Study or Film Study Podcast. So there's two places you have to look to find my material, but all the game analysis and all the stuff we do, of course, afterwards uh, will be in the regular Film Study Podcast area.
4: Awesome. And make sure you get in your questions on Twitter, uh, hashtag Film Study Mailbag. And you can follow Ken on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. And you can follow me at Josh Soroka. <laughs>